This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. the Swamp 24-7 podcast. I'm Thomas Goldcamp here with Blake Gallerman. The first game of the season for the Florida Gators is officially in the books. A little bit of a struggle for Florida Blake last night against Florida Atlantic. I thought pretty typical of a season opener, kind of a little bit along the lines of what I was expecting. You were going to see some sloppiness. And I think, you know, anytime you're moving to a new starting quarterback, that's always going to be a big area of focus. Uh, first off, we got to start with the quarterbacks, Blake. Uh, I want to hear your impressions of Emory Jones last night from from sitting in the press box watching the game. And then put that next to your expectations for what you expected of Emory Jones. Where did you come out of last night feeling like Florida is at at the quarterback position? I think in general, Florida's got some concerns at the quarterback position. I think Emory Jones, I don't know if it was because there were more scripted plays or if there was a plan to start off the game. I thought he came out pretty crisp. I thought he was running the ball really well. I thought he had good pocket presence to get out there and escape. Um, the throws, the throws he had were what we were hearing during fall camp. You know, a lot of the, you know, letting some passes sail, you know, low balls there, um, you know, kind of throwing them in the dirt there. So I think that a lot of those things were what I was expecting just because, I mean, that's what we were hearing all through fall camp. And, you know, when you mm-hmm. hear something over and over again, you have to expect that that's just pretty much what, what it is, what it is. Um, I thought as the game went on, I thought that there was, um, you know, definitely he had some deer in the headlights types of looks. You know, he was definitely locking onto one receiver, really wasn't going through his reads as much as you'd like. Um, just kind of seemed uh, the fourth down play right there in the, uh, I think it was at like the two or three yard line right there in the red zone. I don't know if it was, he didn't know what down it was or if there was a miscommunication on the play. Those are the types of things you don't want out of your starting quarterback. I know he's a new starter. I know those are, you know, could be first game jitters, all those kind of things, but those are the concerns for me. But I thought overall, just in general, even throwing in Anthony Richardson in the mix, I think that there's some concerns because you look at that long ball that Anthony Richardson had to Jamarcus Weston down the sideline. It was an underthrown ball. So I think both quarterbacks, as much as I thought Anthony Richardson looked more comfortable out there, I definitely think there were some concerns overall for the passing game for Florida. Yeah, Blake, I don't, I don't want to speak for you, but I went into this season uh, a little bit reserved on Emory Jones, just not really knowing what to expect. Um, there's a couple things that I think make it tough for me. First off, you know, this is going on almost two years now that we haven't really been able to see practice ourselves. And I do put a lot of stock into I'm not a football coach. I, I'm not, you know, a, a QB guru who knows mechanically exactly what they're looking at. But generally speaking, I can tell you when a quarterback's consistently moving the ball in practice, when they're consistently having trouble with a certain kind of throw, whether that's, you know, a tough route, like, a, you know, a corner route, an out route, whatever. Um, you know, I can kind of identify those things. And based on Emory Jones, what I saw of him from, you know, going back three, four years ago when practices were open, I never really saw that consistency in terms of accuracy. And I think if you listen to Dan Mullen throughout fall camp, 
that was kind of the key issue with Emery is you're going to have some inconsistency. You know, he, he was very quick to talk about, you know, if Kyle Trask was a guy that could count on to hit, you know, this certain type of play 90% of the time, you may only get it 80% of the time out of Emory Jones. So you're going to have some misfires. Um, I came away with a couple different thoughts, you know, with the quarterback position last night, first being to your point, um, it, it seemed like Emory was uncomfortable out there at times. Um, First start, you kind of expect that, so it may not necessarily be sure. uh, the end of the world. Um, and Emery will be the first one to tell you that. Well, you know, he he said point blank last night he didn't really know what to expect getting out there first time as the full time starter. And uh, reality hit him. I think was the exact words he used. Reality hit him. So now it's time to get back to the drawing board. Uh, I think the other comment that made me feel like this thing is a little bit less dire than maybe we left. You know, than we felt leaving the stadium last night was Dan Mullen said that Emory Jones, every time that he came to the sideline after one of those mistakes, like the miscommunication on fourth down in the goal line, which was they had a signals issue getting it called in. So that wasn't fully on Emory uh, down near the goal line. Every time Emory came off the field and had a mistake to talk about, he was very quick to tell Dan Mullen exactly what that mistake was. So it wasn't like a case where it was deer in the headlights. Uh, You know, he saw this look, couldn't even describe it to Mullen. He very much knew what the issues were. The problem was more so the real-time decision-making. And that's concerning because that's sometimes something that's hard to fix. It's hard to, uh, to to improve just with coaching. But having said that, I think that it was very evident to me that Mullen's confidence in, in Emory Jones is not really shaken yet, that his teammates' confidence is not really shaken yet. We talked to Zach Carter, we talked to Malik Davis, and we talked to Emory last night. Malik was very, very supportive of Emory. So, Blake, I think you came away from last night after listening to Dan Mullen uh, pretty well understanding there's not necessarily a QB controversy in Gainesville. Now, having said that, uh, I thought some of the key differences between Emory Jones and Anthony Richardson were even on some of the incompletions for both guys. A lot of the incompletions for Emory Jones, to me, were on poorly thrown passes by a bad ball placement, you know, a, a crossing route behind Trent Whittemore, um, a, a deep ball on a corner route that gets underthrown, when if you throw it as hard as you can towards the sideline, at least only your guy has a chance to catch it. Instead, it gets picked off. Those kind of mistakes for Emory Jones were accuracy to me. And that's probably, to me, the hardest thing to fix. I thought even some of Anthony Richardson's misses, you know, you look at the, the slant that he had down near the end zone, Xavier Henderson, that was a ball that should have been caught. So, uh, you know, you always try to parse through the numbers and, and look beyond just the stat line. I thought... Um, I thought Anthony Richardson, you know, just was all around more impressive. Now, was he running or being asked to run the entire offense the way that Emory was? Probably not. You know, Dan Mullen said one of the reasons they feel confident in Emory is that he can run the whole offense right now. Um, Blake, I guess if you're if you're a coach, knowing what Mullen has said about Emory Jones, would you be more likely to change your approach at quarterback going forward, knowing Alabama is coming up in two weeks. How, how would you approach things if you're a coach coming out of last night's game, given what you saw out of both quarterbacks? Well, since it, if I'm playing just for Florida scenario, I would definitely use the USF game. USF is going to be outmatched. They're not a very good team. I would really test both of those quarterbacks because basically you've got a guy who has a higher ceiling in, in Anthony Richardson, um, or a guy that is really more familiar with your scheme, your calls, really is just has just a better feel of you could probably do more um, or at least call more if you're a coach, I guess I should say. So I think I would use the USF game 
get both of those guys really some opportune times. And I think I would go from there. Um, I think whenever you look at the sample size from last night, I agree with you. I think that Anthony Richardson, I think he looked better. I think some of his throws are more crisp. Um, but I would really use that USF game to really kind of judge where I'm at going forward, knowing that Alabama is coming down there because if you play Anthony Richardson, you're going to have to teach him on the fly more of the offense, continue to expand him on there. It, it would be one of those seasons to where, you know, Florida is going to take their lumps with the younger guy. They think he has a higher ceiling and they're going to go from there and they're going to look for the future. Or do you go with a guy like Emory Jones who you have feel more comfortable with the offense running things um, can probably do more in his mind as far as knowing the offense, but can he do it on the field? He's got the accuracy issues that have been a thing. So I think there are, there are a little bit more things that I'm more cautious with with Emory Jones, just as far as just the throwing abilities and things. But I think you have to go with a guy that I, at least if I, if I know Dan Mullen and how he's done things enough, I think he's going to go with a guy who has more knowledge of the offense and he can do more as far as play calling. When you say you would use the USF game to, to kind of keep evaluating, get a better feel on it. What do you mean by that? Exactly. How does the, the, the playing time break down in, in your ideal scenario? You know, I don't know how I would break it down as far as, you know, 50%, 45%, anything like that. But I think I would give both guys um, pretty evenly numbers of snaps. I don't know if I would go 50-50 right out the bat. It's hard to really put a number on that because you never know how a game's going to go in those scenarios. But I would try to get both of them some of the times at least close to the same amount of, uh, you know, reps, uh, drives. You know, I, I would try to go as close to 50-50. I don't know if I could go on script with that in a game. Just like I said, you don't know what's going to happen. But when you've got a team like USF that you know is going to be outmatched, I think you can you can have you can afford the opportunities of that to kind of give those guys evenly matched at least the same opportunity. And I think you know USF obviously really really struggled in their week one game. I think probably not a very good team this year. Florida should have some opportunities to get both of them heavy snaps. And, and I would expect that Dan Mullen approaches it very much like he approached the FAU game. Emory Jones will get the start. You'll have a scripted series in there for Anthony Richardson. Last night, it was the third series. It was always planned that he was going to go in, take the third series, and they were going to see what he could do. And then later in the game, depending on how the game's going, you get him more involved. Because Florida was up big last night, that was easy to do. I expect the same against USF. Blake, I'll be the first one to say I don't think Dan Mullen is making a change in the starting quarterback, meaning the guy that runs out there for the first play of the game until at least after the Alabama game. Now, I would have said that same thing before the season started, before we saw that FAU game. Uh, I also would have said, you know, that I don't see any way that it's even really a consideration until after the Alabama game. At this point, I've kind of shifted off of that a little bit. I think Emory Jones's performance last night, you know, nervousness and all, whatever it was, it reinforced enough of who I think he is as a passer. And again, this is just my opinion. This is not what Dan Mullen's saying. It reinforced it enough for me that I think I would be much more likely to have a very short leash on Emory Jones in that Alabama mm -hmm. game. Meaning if you get down you know, seven points, but the off, you know, you know, you get down 14 points early. The offense is clearly not going after the first couple drives. I'm going to Anthony Richardson. I'm going to see if that guy can give me a spark because Dan Mullen always talks about quarterback confidence, right? And if that's the number one factor that he's kind of looking for, that he's kind of trying to build in a young quarterback, well, two things are at play here. Number one, you've got to consider where Emory Jones's confidence is at after a really rough start, you know, one thing that's going to be very tough to measure is how Emory takes everything that's going to be thrown at him off the field this week 
next week heading into that Alabama game. The noise in the system, if you will, podcasts like this talking about does Florida have a quarterback controversy? How does he take that? How does he internalize it? And then how does he respond against USF? And he comes if he comes out and has a great game, which is entirely possible, all of a sudden maybe you start to see that confidence come back. And then you don't really have necessarily quite the the stark dichotomy that you have between the two right now, where it's Emory looks really shaky confidence-wise. Anthony Richardson looks like he's ready to go. Right now, I think, you know, if you approach it that way, such that you give Emory Jones these two starts, if he's still not showing you what you need to see, on the flip side, you could also spark Anthony Richardson's confidence by giving him the full reins in that Alabama game when the game's on the line. If he then goes and makes some things happen, and I've seen it happen where this, you know, big games are kind of a coming out party for quarterbacks that are going to be future studs. I mean, we've all seen that, you know, guys that have it just tend to have it. And I think last night, you know, hard to judge because of the opponent being FAU, but a lot of people saw that kind of quote unquote hit factor with Anthony Richardson. And I think if that is able to come out in a big game, suddenly that transition gets a lot easier. I don't think that there's any part of Dan Mullen that is planning for that explicitly, so to speak, like saying, Hey, you know, we're going to, um, you know, the plan is to pull Anthony or to pull Emory Jones early if he struggles against Alabama. I don't think there's any of that going on. I just think realistically, that's the way it could play out. Um, I could be wrong on that. I think, you know, again, I, I go back to I, I think the, the thing for me is it's the, the reinforcement of what I thought of Emory Jones. We know that he's a very, very good runner, and I would contend he doesn't get enough credit for how good a runner he is. He's very slippery for a guy his size, uh, can really run through tackles excellent runner probably even more than most people who are looking at a scouting report saying this guy's a dual threat would expect on the flip side while he's got the ability to throw very deep uh, while he's got the ability to make plays happen you know when he extends the play in the pocket what we have seen is a consistent lack of accuracy over that middle part of the field and i think accuracy maybe even beyond that as well you know when you're throwing receiver screens where your guys are having to reach down to their knees to catch it that throws off a lot of the timing. One of the reasons Florida was so good the last couple of years, Blake, was Kyle Trask was really able to throw guys in stride. I know I talked to you about that in the press box last night. The problem with, you know, Emory Jones' ball placement right now is, you know, even when it is getting there in a catchable area, it's kind of killing the guys dead in their tracks. And that's going to have to change if Florida wants to be an elite team this year. I think they're a long way from that. Um, but, Blake, that clearly has to be the storyline, I think, coming out of last night is the quarterback battle going forward. It definitely is, and everyone wants to talk about quarterbacks. Florida definitely can't have that moment of lull in the offense against a team like Alabama like they did with uh, with Emory Jones last night. There were a couple of throws last night. I, was, I remember being in the press box with you. You know, Bama would have housed that, or Bama would have did this with that. Those, those kind of things can't happen. So Florida's definitely going to have to turn around, use this week of practice, use USF game. There are plenty of things they need to work on going forward because Alabama looked pretty good against Miami the other day. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Like the other thing I think, though, is like, you know, it's never as good as it seems and it's never as bad as it seems in week one. I mean, at the end of the day, Florida only wins 35-14, a little bit of a frustrating kind of game for the fans. But you look down, Florida had two trips down inside the red zone, inside the 10, didn't come up with any points on those two trips, one of them being an interception, the other one, the fourth down call that you talked about that was miscommunicated. At the end of the day, you punch those two in. You know, the defense doesn't give up a couple touchdowns late. You're talking about your standard blowout of a cupcake team. So I think the end result probably shouldn't be concerning for Florida fans. Again, I think it goes back to more, is this who Emory Jones is? 
you know, based on the previous, what we heard from the past three years, what we've seen from the past three years, coupled now with his first start, or was that kind of an aberration? Can he get better going forward? And that's something I think time will kind of tell. But Blake, there's, you know, a lot of other guys on the team. It's not just quarterback. So let's take a quick break. And then I'd like to get your thought. We'll hand out some helmet stickers, but we'll get your thoughts on some of the other areas of the team that we kind of learned about in week one right after this commercial break. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome back to the Swamp 24-7 podcast. I'm Thomas Goldcamp here with Blake Alderman. Blake, before we get to handing out some helmet stickers to individuals on both sides of the ball, I wanted to get your thoughts on a couple units that we had talked about in particular, uh, the offensive line in the secondary. Can you go ahead and just give me a quick instant reaction to how both of those units played last night? I thought the offensive line did pretty well. Um, you know, I don't know if it's just the FAU you know, being kind of that, you know, cupcake, you know, lower tier type of opponent. thought they were really good in pass protection, which is something they were great in last year. thought Emory Jones had plenty of time to throw the ball. Uh, the run blocking, I, I thought it was better than I've seen in years past. I think there's definitely some room for improvement. You know, when you run for 400 yards as a team, you know, granted a lot of that was from the quarterbacks. Um, I, it definitely seems like a, a trend in the right direction. You know, I don't know if that's just one game. We'll continue to see how that goes. But I, I thought the offensive line played pretty well. The secondary... I thought there were some growing pains. I know that's something we've talked about before, that just having a lot of those younger guys, you're going to have those growing pains. I thought the safeties played okay. Um, definitely Kyer Elam, you know, on the I believe it was the last podcast we had. My biggest concern for the season was the guy on the other side of the field, yeah. opposite of Kyer Elam. I think there's still some question marks there. I thought Avery Helm played like a guy who's just getting his first start. Um, I thought uh, Elijah Blades had some bonehead penalty there that kind of cost Florida, you know, I, think, I believe it was a third down drive there. Yep. Um, so I'm still kind of concerned there on that opposite side of Kyer Elam. They definitely have some time to figure things out because there are going to be some growing pains like we've talked about. But I think overall, I, I think that that's an area that I'm going to keep an eye on going forward because I think that could be an Achilles heel for Florida's defense this season. I, I think lack of depth could potentially really show up there. I mean, you're talking about these are – you know, basically Avery Helm, Jason Marshall is a guy that got, you know, uh, he was around one of the touchdown passes late in the game. I don't know. And he had that exactly PI call, call too. Had a, had a costly pass interference that a lot of first down. When you're talking about Helm, Marshall, Elijah Blades, even Jadarius Perkins being kind of the guys that were at the top end of that competition coming out of fall camp. And then, frankly, they, I, to me, they looked a little bit, out of sorts at times. And again, season opener, you kind of expect that, you know, you're working through some new communication back there. you got two new coaches. 
Um, I, I just think the depth there is going to be the thing to watch more. So like, like I think Avery Helm's going to get better. Jason Marshall is going to get better. Um, you know, I, to me, I don't know as much what to think about Elijah blades and Jadarius got Perkins. in late too. I mean, they got blades in late. For sure so when he got in late. Yeah. I mean, so it's going to take longer for some of these guys to get going, but I think the problem is it, it, you know, if you start developing one of those guys and you get three or four games in, you know, with an Avery Helm, with a Jason Marshall kind of manning that opposite side, and then somebody gets hurt, that's where I start to have real question marks. And so I think the depth is going to be, a, you know, an issue to monitor all year there in the secondary. As far as the O-line, Blake, and again, we're shooting this podcast before we've had a chance to go back and, and rewatch the game. We kind of right. want to do that on Sundays so that it's a little bit more of a raw version. And then if we go back and we rewatch things and think, hey, oh, that wasn't really the way I thought on the first watch, when we come back tomorrow with our Monday episode after rewatching, we'll have a little bit you know, different tape, potentially. Uh, I thought watching the O-line, to your point, I thought they ran very well outside the tackles. And really, I thought the Gators kind of did that okay last year as well. It's it's on the interior where you need to see a little bit more progress. And I, I thought there were definitely a couple of plays. I can, I can remember at least three to four plays in my head that I kind of, you know, made a mental check mark and said, hey, the guard pulled really well on that play on the run. Uh, one of them was a big Malik Davis run, I remember in particular. Um, but I, to me, the concern I had coming out was pretty similar to what I had going in. I'm not sure the upside of the offensive line is where it needs to be with this current starting five. Now, Josh Braun didn't get a ton of run last night. Uh, I think most of his, his snaps with the offense came with Anthony, Anthony Richardson's unit, kind of when they put some backups in there. I think you can get better if he continues to play more and potentially pushes into that starting lineup. But I just worry that the, the, the top end, you know, you know, if this O-line maxes out its potential, I'm still not sure that's quite good enough for where Florida needs to be. Um, but I did think it was an encouraging start. To your point, I thought the pass protection was very good. And in some ways, that made the QB play a little bit more disappointing. Now, I will say that I thought FAU was dropping guys into coverage quite a bit last night. I don't really recall that many snaps where more than three or four guys were rushing the passer. So Emory Jones had to kind of sit back and diagnose what he was seeing with the coverage. And he said it, you know, he, you know, he didn't always know what to expect. And so having to make those decisions on the fly probably didn't happen as quickly or as smoothly as he would have liked. Uh, but for the most part, I thought the O-line protected him well, which was good to see. Um, I guess my, my last kind of overall takeaway from this game in terms of how it relates to the rest of the season, Blake is kind of in the trenches. I thought the defensive line really asserted itself late, but I did think it was primarily edge rushers. Now, I did think those defensive tackles settled in, especially in the second half where they really started to collapse the pocket. That's what we got to see from Florida if this defense is going to go from being pretty bad to at least, you know, above average. You know, I think they can be an average unit without the pass rush being necessarily ferocious. But if they're going to be a really, really above average to good to great defense, you know, they're going to need that front seven to be really strong. I didn't see quite as much displacement on the line of scrimmage as I would have liked to see. And, that, and that's really true for both sides of the ball. I didn't see enough snaps where the entire line of scrimmage on either the O-line or the D-line for Florida just absolutely reset the line of scrimmage and started, you know, where you snap the ball and all of a sudden the line of scrimmage effectively looks like it's a yard or two behind where it was before or in front if you're the O-line. Uh, so those are the, the areas that I'm concerned a little bit, Blake, but I want to talk some about individual performances. First off, let's let's hand out our helmet stickers on both sides of the ball. Who you got for me on offense? For offense, I think I'm going to go, obviously, Anthony Richardson. Whenever you have the running game that he had, he was kind of the spark there for Florida. Even if you jump over somebody and do a hurdle or you 
stiff arm someone into like oblivion, you're getting a helmet sticker from me. That's a good pick. I think that's, that's probably the obvious one. Um, I'm going to go with Malik Davis. I thought that Malik Davis, um, you know, I was a little bit skeptical hearing for it seems like the, you know, third or fourth fall that he's as healthy as he's been since his freshman year. I mean, the guy looked at last night, you know, really, I thought ran well, had good vision, broke several tackles. Um, just first hundred yard rushing game since Vandy. What was it? 2017? 2017. Yeah. So he, he just looked really confident to me, man. And I think, you know, we heard that throughout fall camp. I think the leadership after the game was kind of equally important to me. You know, I asked him, you know, right or wrong, Emery's going to get more scrutiny this week and Anthony Richardson's going to get a lot of praise. How do you kind of deal with that as a teammate? And he said, Hey, I've already gone up to Emery and said, Hey man, we got your back. Like we, we get it. First game jitters. You're good, man. You're our guy. Uh, I like that kind of leadership, man. And then I think you look on Twitter, you know, even Anthony Richardson was supporting Emory Jones, but I think a lot of that comes from the leadership that Malik Davis has, has put in on offense. And I thought it was cool to see the hard work pay off for him last night. Who's your guy on defense? Uh, you know, I was thinking about it. There were a lot of guys. It's got to be Zach Carter, right? Uh, I think Definitely. three three sacks. I think one of my big question marks about Florida this year is, is where are the difference makers? And I have that question, especially on the offense, where I wasn't really sure we saw a whole lot of difference makers at the skill positions. Defense, you know, you got some guys that are on the verge. Zach Carter, I would have said, was probably, you know, rounding the corner onto being that all-SEC type last year. Last night was the kind of performance you get from an all-SEC guy when you're playing an inferior team. Three sacks had the obvious strip sack that, you know, caused the turnover early on. Veteran leader, I thought, you know, I thought you could see the difference that those defensive tackles made inside, just occupying some space, kind of taking some pressure off Carter to where he's able to play, uh, you know, either stand up on the tackle when they're going to a five-man front uh, with two guys hanging over the edge, or, you know, he's able to just play more of a traditional DN role when they're four down. Uh, you know, to me, Zach Carter's a guy that he's going to have to be that guy for Florida this season. And we talked about it. You know, Florida's got to have guys like Zach Carter. Like I think uh, uh, Diabate has to step up and be that all SEC type guy. Kyir Elam's got to be the guy that he can be. Um, you just got to have enough of those guys emerge. And I thought last night, great step for, for Zach Carter. I'm going Chris Bogle. I think Florida had really good pressure from a lot of their edge guys. Brenton Cox, Jeremiah Moon played well. I thought that Chris Bogle just brought a different type of dynamic. He just seems more of a, you know, he, he's he's kind of stocky. You know, he's got some really good bend. He rushes well. Um, and I thought that he was the one that really caught my eye. So, I mean, maybe not the most flashy stat line out there, but I thought that whenever he was on the field, I thought his presence was made. Zach Carter's definitely the, the one that was, you know, the, the no-brainer on defense. I think past that, you could make a case for some of those guys. But for me, I really thought Bogle played well. Yeah, he did. And I think he's a guy that, you know, I, I think I mentioned to you at one point in the press box. I'd play him as much, if not more so than Brenton Cox. You know, I, I'd have to go back on the tape rewatch and see how many times Cox got, uh, you know, kind of sucked in a little bit too far, lost edge contained. But I know there was at least one play early in the game that we both pointed to. Um, and that's kind of the issue with him. I, I haven't seen that as much from Chris Bogle. And then I think, when you look at physically the strides he made this offseason, he's got the physical potential to really elevate his game to another level this year. Like, uh, I'm going to throw it open at this point. I, f- I feel like we've we've covered most of the main topics. Anything else from last night that stuck out to you, whether it's crowd, I don't know, position we haven't talked about, players, concerns, anything like that? I think overall, I know we kind of touched on it. I think it was good to see Florida get a running game, you know, 400 yards rushing. I don't know if that's just because it was FAU. You know, obviously the quarterbacks, whenever you see a traditional Dan Mullen offense, you're going to see those quarterbacks running. I thought it was good to see regardless of anything, 
that just the Florida was having some positive in the rush. You know, the I, what was it? The 2018 season, I believe, was Dan Mullen's first season here. We just haven't seen that type of dominated rushing performance. So I don't know if it was FAU. One game is kind of hard just to put your, you know, all the eggs in the basket for, but I thought it was good to see. Also, it was good to see a, a full crowd in, in the swamp. You know, that's something we haven't seen for a while. It was good not seeing like a, a random cardboard cutout in the stands, you know, you know, seeing We Are the Boys, you know, all the other things, Tom Petty song playing. You know, I thought it was just really good to see. You know, night games are always fun. Um, Whiteout. The whiteout atmosphere thought that was a little disappointing. You know, there was definitely the student side that was all white over there. You got to hand out shirts if you're going to do it. You got to give them but free shirts for the, for them to press it on there. I was excited to see that, but you know, it was definitely more of like a white on the student side and then kind of like a white and blue checker mark side on the alumni side. Yeah. Yeah. Not a, not a very well executed deal there, but I don't know. Those are hard, man. Especially if you, you know, I, I thought Florida plugged that a little bit late, you know, it was only the last week or two that yeah, I it was really like saw they were doing that Wednesday, I think so, or something Thursday, something like that. But Hey, they tried it. Now, you know, stick to orange outs against uh, Kentucky and, and uh, blue outs against Tennessee and you're good to go. Just leave it. But It was that. good to see. It was good to see fans in the stadium again, full capacity. I agree. I think Blake, one last point I wanted to leave everybody with, uh, you know, to your point on the run game working, I, I thought obviously everybody knew that Florida was going to shift to kind of a more run based offense. Well, if you're going to do that, you know, 400 yards as of today, leading the country in rushing. Not bad, right? Um, yeah. I, I think if, if you're looking for reasons for optimism for Florida coming out of that FAU game where there was obviously some concerns, it, it's that you rush for 400 yards. Um Will will that be as successful against the Alabamas, the Georgias? Probably not. But you know that it's a strength, and you you know what you need to focus on as a weakness. I, I will say one thing that stuck out to me watching Emory Jones last night. Uh, I thought you could see him thinking on the field a little too much. And what I mean by that is even on some of his checkdowns, there's one in particular that I remember I think was in the third quarter. Even on some of his checkdowns, it, 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 it almost appeared like he's going through his progression so deliberately that he really waits to take that check down just a split second too long. And sometimes that's the difference between a check down going for 15 yards because you get it there quick or a check down being tackled for, you know, a three yard gain. And so I, I think the biggest thing for Emory Jones is going to be processing live in games. You know, I, I think when you when you hear Dan Mullen say he knows what he's looking at mistakes wise when he comes off the field, that tells me that he's got it from the mental standpoint, right? He sees the picture X's and O's in his head. He sees what the defense is showing in pre-snap and what that should mean. Sometimes there's things that happen that throw you off that you're not anticipating. But I think the bigger thing is the more you see that in person week to week on the field, the the quicker you can kind of speed up that synapse firing. And it's not the easiest thing to fix. You know, a lot of guys never fix that. That internal clock never really speeds up. But I think if you're looking for a positive, it seems that Florida has one element of the game pretty well established. And you've got a lot of tape now. When Airbrain Jones needs to work on, you know, if you're Dan Mullen, uh, the areas you need to get him to improve on that, you know how to coach him on that. So I think there's a lot of potential for things to look very different in week two. I, I don't think this team's ready for Alabama yet. I'm certainly not making that case. And uh, I'm not expecting pretty things in two weeks, but I think it's far too early to kind of close the book on Emory Jones. I am not expecting Dan Mullen to do that at all. Am I super optimistic that Emory Jones ends up being the guy? Am I confident that Anthony Richardson doesn't make any starts this year because Emory turns it around? Absolutely not. I, I think at some point Anthony Richardson will see a start this year. 
but I think last night didn't give you enough to, you know, kind of be all out full stop on Emory Jones. I think there's a lot of potential improvement that can happen. Uh, next week will be a very big indicator, I think. You know, especially you always hear from week one to week two is when people make the biggest gains for a quarterback. You know, that, that should be equally true. And then you're playing a terrible opponent in USF. If Emory Jones is having the same accuracy problems, the same issues kind of making the right decisions against USF, it's going to be problematic. And, and, and then it's, that's where you start to have concern. But until then, man, end of the day, you came out with a 21-point win over an opponent. Uh, not the cleanest. I get it. Could have easily been a much bigger margin. But at the end of the day, Florida's 1-0. Blake, we're done with our first Sunday podcast for the season. And we'll be back on Monday after we've had a chance to review the film. Guys, if you like the podcast, we're going to be back three episodes a week through the season. So be sure to leave us a favorable review on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever the else we are. Um, and if you like the YouTube version, uh, be sure to hit like on the YouTube video and hit subscribe so we can get more followers. Appreciate it, guys. That'll do it for us until Monday. to Paramount Plus for a brand new season of the original hit series, Mayor of Kingstown. My job is to create a balance. Avoid a war. From executive producer Taylor Sheridan, co-creator of Yellowstone. There's some new players in town and they brought the flag. And Antoine Fuqua, director of Training Day. I know it's always been a war zone, Mike, but this is next level. The mayor is back in business. Are you warning me? You're going to find out. Mayor of Kingstown. New season streaming June 2nd, exclusively on Paramount Plus.